Welcome to the Covenant People's Ministry. It is written that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. We invite you to study the scriptures with us to learn about the words of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Our pastor is Mr. Jeremy Visser from Brooks, Georgia. You can contact us with your questions and comments at covenantpeoplesministry.com or simply write to Covenant People's Ministry, Post Office Box 256, Brooks, Georgia, 30205. Our phone number is 404-906-9009. We would like to hear from you, and we pray in the name of Jesus Christ that His will will continue to reign upon us all. Once again, welcome to the Covenant People's Ministry, and here's Pastor Visser with our next Bible study. Hello again, everybody. This is Pastor Visser from beautiful downtown Peachtree City, Georgia, bringing you another in-depth look at the book of Jude. Indeed, dear kinsfolk, if you're familiar with Covenant People's Ministry, you'll know that I'm no stranger to teaching this particular book. But there's many keys to be found within this book, many quotes from the book of Enoch, and many teachings on the apostate, that is, the ungodly, those who have fallen away from the faith, that faith that was once delivered to the saints. That faith that you and I, dear kinsfolk, must struggle to persevere. And so without further ado, we should begin in the very first verse of Jude. It says, Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called. So first and foremost, before continuing, we must note that Jude writes this general epistle, quote-unquote, to those general Israelites, those that are called according to Jesus Christ, that is Yahshua Messiah's purpose. Those same people whom Jesus Christ said, My sheep, hear my voice, and follow. Moreover, the voice of a stranger they will not follow. Indeed, this is the way it is. For if you were to go into church out there in Judeo-Christian land, you would find that they would say, Oh, well, all you've got to do is open your heart to Jesus Christ. All you've got to do is believe, and Jesus Christ will come into you. Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and so forth. But... These are unbiblical teachings. Indeed, Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ, and we should all be servants of Jesus Christ, I might add, wrote this epistle to them that are sanctified by God and preserved in Jesus Christ and called. For we know Jesus Christ taught many are called, few are chosen. So are you called of Jesus Christ, dear kinsfolk? Or do you simply play church like the majority of churchianity out there? Next verse. Mercy unto you, and peace and love be multiplied. This is his salutation, and it is him establishing his authorship. So we understand that it was Jude who wrote this epistle, and we understand that this epistle was written to those that are called in Jesus Christ, those that are preserved in Jesus Christ, and he says, Mercy unto you, and peace and love be multiplied. Indeed, love. Not the sloppy agape love that so many Judeo-Christian churches out there fail at, for they're the ones that will come along and say, well, all you got to do is love, but you won't find them loving Pastor Visser. Indeed, you will find many times these self-same, self-pronounced Christians will come along and they'll run to the Jew, if it means that they can bury a true Christian, or they'll run to another nation or another race, if it means they can bury someone of their own. But this is not the correct spirit. So it is here in the next verse that Jude will give us the purpose of this epistle. And pay close attention, dear kinsfolk. Jude continues, he says this in verse 3, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend 
for the faith that was once delivered unto the saints. So, stopping right there, we must recognize, is this that you see out in Judeo-Christian land, or in uh, modern Christianity that passes as Christianity out there, is this the faith that was once delivered unto the saints, or would these words that we're covering today in the Bible be those words? Indeed, it should be common sense that the faith once delivered unto the saints is found here. So when Pastor Visser, that is me, comes along and teaches you that Jesus Christ said he has come only for the lost sheep of the house of Israel, or he commanded his disciples to do the same, there should be no confusion. We should be able to understand that this also is part of the faith that was once delivered unto the saints. So Jude says, when he gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, common meaning that it was not only for those Israelites, but also for the Israelites in Dysphoria. Those same twelve tribes that were scattered abroad and went to the north, descended over the Caucasus Mountains, became what is known as Caucasians. So indeed, while this is considered a general epistle of Jude, we must understand that once again it is only addressing the same group of people that are Israelites. And the Israelites are those that share in that common salvation. So Jude says it was needful for him to write that we should earnestly contend for the faith. Why? Because there's lots of false dogmas out there. And during Jude's time, there was Gnosticism and small little sects. There was most definitely Judaism that was coming along in the form of Phariseeism and perverting the original words of Jesus Christ. Oh, they would say Jesus Christ was not the Son of God. They would say he wasn't the Messiah. They would say that he was a good man, he was a teacher, and so forth, but they would not recognize him in his proper position, that is, God manifest in the flesh. So it is you and I, dear kinsfolk, that must continually and earnestly contend for that faith that was once delivered unto the saints. Delivered to the saints, that is, the apostles or the disciples, by Jesus Christ. Many will come along nowadays and they teach feel-goodism. They tell you that all you've got to do is live a generally good life and, well, you can repent on your deathbed. It doesn't matter if you follow the law. It doesn't matter if you uh, truly believe or if you're found in the grace of Jesus Christ. In fact, they'll pervert it all the way around and say, all you've got to do is accept Jesus Christ. Well, what does that have to do with the fact that Jesus Christ may not accept you? And so, the reason for it, the reason that Jude says that you must contend for the faith earnestly, and that you must contend for the faith that was once delivered unto the saints is given in the very next verse. That is verse 4, where Jude continues. He says this, For there are certain men, crept in unawares, who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness, and denying the only Lord God and Lord Jesus Christ. So understand that, the only true definition of an antichrist, according to Scripture, is someone who will come along and deny Jesus Christ. Dear kinsfolk, we must understand that the biblical definition of an antichrist are those that follow Judaism. Judaism that teaches Jesus Christ was not the Messiah. Judaism that teaches Jesus Christ did not come and, for one and all times and make that sacrifice, that atoning sacrifice, to which his beloved bride, Israel, could be saved. So we must understand that there are certain men, and they're crept in unawares. Unaware, that is, to the flock. The flock that look to the uh, pastor to teach them all things, nine times out of ten may not understand that that preacher is teaching them falsely. Why? Well, they turn the grace of the Lord God into lasciviousness. They turn it into a joke. They turn it into a shadow of what it once was. That is, lasciviousness in which we can go into these churches that litter our land and 
see people on roller skates. We can see people professing to speak in tongues, but is this Christianity? Oh, no, indeed. They'll come along and they'll turn it into lasciviousness. They'll turn Christianity into a game. They'll turn it into easy believism or feel-goodism. And Jude it is who is telling us here in verse 4 that we must be on guard. We must understand that these are ungodly men. Not only are they ungodly men, but they were before of old ordained to this condemnation. Indeed, you can read more about that in the second epistle of Peter in the second chapter where he explains about the same, those watchers, their reserve, their wandering stars. That is their purpose. The purpose is to mislead the flock. And so, dear kinsfolk, we must not make that mistake. We must understand that certain men did creep in unawares, and they were ordained to condemnation. They are ungodly men, and they turned the grace of the Lord God into lasciviousness. Grace, before continuing, let's recognize and understand what this word grace is. Grace, according to Scripture, is unmerited favor. Grace is not a free license to sin. Grace does not mean that you can live however you want and that Jesus Christ has some lucky rabbit's foot will have to forgive your sins. Oh, quite the opposite. Rather, grace is unmerited. We should be on our knees every day praising Yahweh God that we are called, that we can hear his voice, that Jesus Christ will consider us one of his sheep. So it is these ungodly men that turn the grace of our Lord and they deny the Lord Jesus Christ. They deny him in works, they deny him in deed, but however it is, they deny him. They are, in essence, antichrist. They'll come along and they'll say, well, you know, the Jews are God's chosen. Well, if that's so, then why is it that they don't fulfill any of the promises made to Abraham? Why is it that in the Jews and their seed, all the nations of the earth are not blessed? Why is it that they are not a multitude of nations, as are the white, Anglo-Saxon, Germanic, and kindred people? But that's a study for another day, dear kinsfolk. In verse 5, it is Jude who will continue to give us examples of judgment. He says this, I will put you in remembrance, though ye once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believed not. So while it is Yahweh God that may deliver us as a group effort or as a nation, it is up to each individual believer to profess Jesus Christ. It is up to each individual believer to know and do the will of God. And a perfect example of that are those that were delivered out of the land of Egypt. Afterward, well, they bitched, they kvetched, they said, oh, I want to go back to the land of Egypt. didn't matter that we were slaves. It didn't matter that we had to uh, make bricks with our own feet and straw and so forth. What mattered was the fact that they were comfortable. They were comfortable being slaves in the land of Egypt. So at the game saying, of course, we must understand that it was Yahweh God that destroyed many of them. It didn't matter that they were delivered before, and perhaps the fact that they were delivered before was what lifted them up in heart and made them feel as if they were bulletproof, quote-unquote. And we can see this sentiment in the land today. Indeed, we see this teaching of once saved, always saved. We see false prophets coming along saying, it doesn't matter how you live. It doesn't matter what you do. Jesus Christ is bound to forgive you. This is not a teaching of the scripture. This is not the faith that was once delivered unto the saints. And next verse, in verse 6, Jude continues. He says, And the angels which kept not their first estate, and stopping right there, we must recognize, right here, Jude's not saying men. Jude is saying angels. And so this no-devil belief that has infiltrated Christian identity, dear kinsfolk, we must be on guard. Right here, it is Jude who's giving us a confirmation and telling us that the teaching of angels. Moreover, the teaching of angels that kept not their first estate, that fell all the way back in the book of Genesis, chapter 6, 
were literal. They were not men. They were not men's interpretation of what they could be. They were angels that kept not their first estate. But continuing on. But hath left their own habitation. He hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. And so we understand that is the purpose of the Gregory, of the Watchers, of the Iron. Their purpose in falling and taking from among the daughters of Adam was so that, first and foremost, demons could be birthed upon this land, so that these same angels that kept not their first estate would be bound and put in chains and reserved under darkness into the judgment of the great day. What is the great day? The day of the Lord. That is judgment day. And so general Christians, modern Christians, go along and they live in fear. And indeed, many of them have reason to live in fear. They're afraid of Judgment Day, but for those that are called according to Jesus' purpose, that is the day when we cash our chips in. That is the day when we're rewarded for living the way God would have us. So understand before continuing, Jude and Peter and many other places in the Bible, the teaching of angels are literal. He doesn't come along and say they're men. He says they're angels and they're reserved. Reserved for the great and terrible day of the Lord. Next verse. Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh, are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Why did it happen? It happened as an example. And so, before continuing, we must understand that it is Jude here who gives us the definition of fornication, which is going after strange flesh. That is foreign, foreign flesh. That is race mixing, dear kinsfolk. And we must also understand, at the same time, it was not only Sodom and Gomorrah, it was the cities around about them. It was the cities, in like manner, gave themselves over to this practice, and they are set forth for an example. So we understand, first and foremost, that those residents of Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities round about are set forth with the vengeance of eternal fire. They're meant to be an example. They're meant so that you, here in the year 2011, if you see race mixing going on, you know that the time is short. You know that we're living in a great apostasy. For it is Jude here that tells you what fornication is. He says they gave themselves over to fornication, and they went after strange and or heteros, meaning a different kind. Men with men and angels with women and all sorts of race mixing going on. So we understand that not only was homosexuality and sodomy, quote-unquote, rampant in the town of Sodom, so was race mixing. People were going after foreign flesh and considering it normal at that time. And God had to use them as an example of what happens when a society like Sodom and Gomorrah accept it, tolerate it, or allow it. So now you have your answer, dear kinsfolk. Now you understand why it was Sodom and Gomorrah existed. Now you understand why Lot on the plains of Amory pitched his tent towards Sodom. That was what was in his heart. His Lot's wife, who considered that to be normal, but was it normal in the eyes of God? And therefore, dear kinsfolk, we must understand that the whole context of Jude's epistle here is to earnestly contend for the faith once delivered unto the saints. So if you walk into a modern-day multicultural pulpit out there, and they're teaching you that God loves everybody, kumbaya, is that the faith that was once delivered unto the saints? I'd say not. Rather, we must understand that uh, the aspect of race mixing and homosexuality caused Yahweh God to destroy not only Sodom, not only Gomorrah, but many cities round about. Those same cities that accepted it as normal. Verse 8. 
Likewise, also, these filthy dreamers defile the flesh. They despise dominion and speak evil of dignity. So notice this, three points right now. First and foremost, you must recognize and understand about the homosexual, which is considered in the same boat as the race trader. What do they do? Well, first and foremost, they're filthy dreamers. And if you're familiar with this ministry, dear kinfolk, I'd invite you to download my sermon, Filthy Dreamers, where I taught this same verse, overlaid, albeit with a bit of Enoch and a bit of Second Peter, to drive home the point that they despise dominion. They hate Yahweh God. They recreate a God in their own image. They defile the flesh. They don't upbraid their flesh. Rather, they live within the flesh, and in living in that flesh, they defile it. They despise dominion, and they speak evil of dignities. Evil of dignities. So if you come along and point out to them that race trading has not been socially acceptable as it has been in the last 50 years, they'll despise you. Why? Because you have dignity. They despise all things that are normal. Rather, they love those things that are perverted. This is the reason why Yahweh God had to destroy them. This is the reason why Yahweh God can only find just Lot, just Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. And so while Lot it was who was delivered from Sodom, he was also perverted from it. He could not live within it without taking some of it out. So Lot it was who was vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked, because those about him spoke evil of dignities. Next verse. Yet Michael, the archangel, archangel, once again, archangelos, is that saying Michael's a man? No. Quite the opposite, rather, it's saying he's an angel. So beware of this faulty no-devil teaching. It's no-devil teaching that wants you to believe that angels are not real. Michael was real, and it says so right here in verse 9. Yet Michael the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses. Durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke thee. So understand, here's something you can do as well. We cannot battle Satan, per se. Rather, it is up to us to use the power of Yahweh God and say, The Lord rebuke thee. As it was Jesus Christ when he was being tempted, quote-unquote, of the devil, what did he say? He said, Get thee behind me, Satan. And moreover, we must recognize that the devil and Michael, both warring angels, were fighting over what? The body of Moses. The body of Moses is the law, dear kinsfolk. And so many people will come along and say, you don't have to follow the law, or they'll say the law doesn't really mean what it really means, or they'll say the word doesn't really mean what it means. They'll tell you that's not, well, Michael's not really an archangel, even though it says right here, who are you to believe? The faulty premise of men, the faulty premise of men who speak evil of dignities because that's their job, that's exactly what they will do. You must understand that it was Jesus Christ who taught many of the Pharisees, kept people from entering within the kingdom. Why? Because they themselves didn't enter in. They knew it. Or whether they knew it or not, whether it was a subconscious act on their part, that was what they were designed to do, to keep people out of the kingdom. Well, they'll come along and say, well, you don't have to be baptized, and that's a teaching I've seen uh, infiltrate Christian identity as of late. You don't need to be baptized, even though the word baptized means to make fully whelmed with water. They'll tell you, oh, you don't need to be baptized, even though Jesus Christ was baptized and was our perfect example. They'll teach you, well, Jesus Christ did away with baptism on the cross when he said it's finished, even though many people were baptized in the book of Acts. It's common sense, dear kinsfolk. These are the people who do not enter in. And therefore, because they cannot enter in, they speak evil of dignities. There's much dignity within being baptized, and there's much dignity in living 
on every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God, as transcribed here in the King James Version or whatever Bible you may be reading. The Word of God is here for you. It's a letter, so you'll understand that when the false prophet comes along and says, angels aren't real, the devil's not real, you don't need to be baptized, you can mark that person and know they are what? Antichrist. They are they that deny the words of Jesus Christ as Judas already put down. So understand this concept. Michael the archangel, when he contended with the devil, he didn't fight. He didn't bring railing accusation because that is the job of Satan. Satan is considered the accuser of the brethren. Therefore, Michael would not follow suit. Michael would not drop to the level of a devil and accuse the devil back. Rather, what would he say? He would say, the Lord, that is Yahweh, rebuke thee. The power comes from God. The power does not come from within us. It does not come from recognizing a literal devil. It does not come from being baptized within the water. Rather, it comes from Yahweh God himself. And so a true Christian would recognize that. A true Christian would understand these are thrones, dominions, principalities. They recognize that God is not flesh, that we war in the Spirit, against the Spirit. Next verse. But these, who the apostates, the false prophets, just as Peter mentions in his second epistle in the second chapter. But these, what do they do? They speak evil of those things that they know not. Stopping right there before continuing. They speak evil of the things they don't understand. So they'll come along and say, well, Pastor Visser, he's a racist, yet it's commanded in the word of God, thou shalt not adulterate. It's one of the Ten Commandments. Am I necessarily evil, or are the apostate considering me evil? Does not our scripture say, well, unto them that call evil good and good evil? Well, we live in that age, dear kinsfolk, where somehow or another laying down with other races or being a homosexual is considered as a good thing. And moreover, most of these modern churches open their doors for people like that. Rather, they would much rather have race traders, they would much rather have homosexuals than anybody who has any type of racial pride within the accomplishments of their forefathers. That is, if you're white. On the other hand, if you're black and have black rage because you feel oppressed or whatever the uh, Zog agenda wants you to believe, well, that's okay. That's acceptable. But this, again, once again, dear kinsfolk, is not the faith that was once delivered unto the saints. So what do these apostates do? What do the false prophets do? They speak evil of those things that they know not. They can't know them because they were not called to know them. It was Jesus Christ who said, My sheep hear my voice and they will follow. If you don't follow Jesus Christ, well, apparently you are not called of Jesus Christ. It's relatively simple. But what do they do? But what they know naturally as brute beasts and those things, they corrupt themselves. They corrupt themselves in what? That which is natural. Not Yahweh God, who is supernatural, rather the flesh. They corrupt themselves in the flesh, just as the residents of Sodom and Gomorrah did. They would give themselves over to fornication. They would give themselves over to race trading, and they corrupted themselves. This is the reason why Lot, even though he was delivered, and his family was delivered, and his daughters were delivered, he was vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. Vexed, meaning his mind was troubled, meaning that the whole world round about Lot was saying, this is okay, this is normal. It's okay to lay with angels. It's okay to be homosexual. It doesn't matter. Jesus Christ will accept you or Yahweh God or whatever it be. So dear kinsfolk, come out from among them. Understand that false prophets speak evil of the things they don't understand. And so they'll speak evil of CI. They'll speak evil of the Word of God. In fact, many papists, preterists will come along and they'll say, you know what, I don't really believe the word of God. Why? Because the Pope says so. And they have the audacity to come along and say, you're the brainwashed one, dear kinsfolk. They have the audacity to come along and say, I'm a cult leader. 
and I'm brainwashing people. When they bow to a pope, does that make any sense? These are things they cannot understand. They cannot understand them because they're not called of God. They corrupt themselves in the things of the flesh.
Thank you for listening to the Covenant People's Ministry. If you have enjoyed hearing the message of the gospel and would like to be a part of our fellowship or receive monthly newsletters where you can order Pastor Visser's CD sermons, be sure to write to us at CPM, Post Office Box 256, Brooks, Georgia 30205. You can also visit us on the web at covenantpeoplesministry.com where our extensive audio section features numerous broadcasts so you can easily listen to Pastor Visser by Godcast through your mobile audio device. Our phone number is 404-906-9009. Remember that Jesus Christ is our all and is in all that have been renewed in His Holy Spirit. So we hope that you will allow Him to lead your life and help to build His church so that when He returns, He will find faith upon this earth. We urge you to be a living example of Christian faith and apply His words to your lives. It's been a pleasure to have you with us, and now we will return to Pastor Visser's Bible study message. What does Jude say next? Verse 11. Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain. Stopping. The way of Cain. What is the way of Cain? Cain was a murderer. He was a miscegnated bastard, if you will. He was the child of the devil. And so we live in a modern era where if you walk into an easy believer's church, they'll tell you the Jews are God's chosen. Is that not bass backwards, dear kinsfolk? Indeed it is. We live in an era where the Christ killer are considered the uh, God's chosen. And God's true covenant people, that is you and I, are seen as eccentric, racist, whatever zog buzzword they want to attribute to us. They are the ones who have gone after the way of Cain. What else have they done? They've ran greedily after the heir of Balaam for reward and perished in the gainsaying of Kor. And so once again, we understand this is the gainsaying of Kor. This is when Yahweh God opened up the earth and it swallowed many of the Israelites after the exodus, after God had delivered them. Why? Because they ran after the heir of Balaam. For reward, what was Balaam? Well, Balaam is mentioned in the book of Numbers. Balaam was from Mesopotamia. He was a soothsayer. He would preach or prophesy according to the highest bidder. And so we see that sentiment today. When Jude says, woe unto them, they've gone after the way of Cain, first and foremost, he's basically saying, they're the ones who will say the Jews are God's chosen. And on top of it all, they've run greedily after the heir of Balaam for reward, finances, money. And so we live in an era where everything's upside down, but come along and say, Pastor Visser's a false prophet, yet I preach for free. Never once does it dawn on them that Billy Graham may be a false prophet. Maybe Billy Graham it is who comes along and wants to preach after the manner of Balaam. doesn't matter. They will all perish after the gainsaying of Kor. Repent, dear kinsfolk. Come out from among them. Understand that there is no new thing under the sun. What once was will always be and will be again. And so we live in that era. Do we not see people who say the Jews are God's chosen? The Kenite, the Canaanite, the murderers, they who murdered Jesus Christ? Is that not ludicrousness? Oh, indeed, yet it is a fundamental staple of Judeo-Christianity. Do we not see those who come along and preach according to reward? They preach for gain. They preach for money. They send missionaries out. Why? Because it's a business, dear kinsfolk. It's not upon their heart. They're not the ones who are earnestly contending for the faith that was once delivered unto the saints. Rather, they are the ones who want money. No money in this, per se. You should support and tithe where you're taught. But if you are the type of people who come along and want to turn evil into good and good evil and say that the Christ killers are God's chosen, you will perish in the same manner. 
perish, quote-unquote, in the game saying of Kor. What are these false prophets? Next verse. These are spots in your feasts of charity. Spots in your feasts of charity. Understand, before you can even have charity, which is love, these are spots. These are blemishes. These are hindrances to you knowing God. These are spots in your feast of charity when they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear. They do not have a moral compass. They can sit there knowing that they're telling lies, and they have no fear. They have no fear of Yahweh God, which is the whole duty of men, according to King Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes. They do not fear God. Rather, they feed themselves with you without fear. They'll tell you lies because they don't have the fear of God. Because they're not contending for the faith that was once delivered unto the saints. Moreover, clouds they are, without water, carried about of winds, trees whose fruit withereth, without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by the roots. Understand that it was Jesus Christ who taught us to judge a man according to his fruits. What are fruits? Fruits are works, dear kinsfolk. And if you were truly discerning the fruits of the false prophets out there, like Joel Osteen and Billy Graham, you'd understand that they don't have fruits to speak of. And what fruits they have are rotten, bitter, and wormwood. What are they? They are without water, no progeny. They're clouds carried about by winds. We must understand that Second Peter says they are clouds carried about by every wind of doctrine. Every time doctrine changes, well, they go right alongside with it. doesn't matter if it's true or not. doesn't matter if it's written in the Word of God. What matters to them is what the Pope says. What matters to them was that uh, dogma was changed in 1945, and suddenly the Christ killer became God's chosen. That's what matters. So they'll follow that as opposed to the Word of God. They would much rather be carried about by every wind of doctrine, and that's what they do. They're without fruit. They're twice dead. They're plucked up by the roots. They are those tares, quote-unquote, that are gathered first in that great and terrible day of the Lord. Indeed, it was Jesus Christ who taught us in his parable of the tares and the wheat that the tares were taken first. They're gathered. They're burned. That's what they are. They're plucked up by their roots. And so Jude continues discussing these false prophets in verse 13. He says that they are raging waves of the sea, foaming out their own shame. Wandering stars to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. So understand, he's mentioning the glory. He's talking about the watchers. He's talking about Enoch. And so there is this modern thought that has entered within Christian identity where people are wanting to deny the book of Enoch. Hey, good going, buddy. Yeah, let's go ahead and agree with the Council of Nicaea. Let's be spoon-fed what it is that is official, canonized. Well, that's what many people are doing. Well, here it is, and Jude has not even begun quoting Enoch. But the fact that Jude quotes Enoch and the fact that Enoch was found with the Dead Sea Scrolls and the fact that uh, Peter quotes Enoch good enough for me to recognize that Enoch was once upon a time canonized, or at least accepted by the early church fathers. He says they're wandering stars to whom has reserved the blackness of darkness forever. That is their purpose. Indeed, those sons of God that fell in Genesis 6, and they took from among the daughters of Adam, they brought forth the Nephilim, those are the watchers. Those are they that are reserved in chains, the throne of God, and Enoch, it's the fifth plank of heaven. They are they whose faces are withered continually. They are they who are reserved for that great and terrible day of the Lord, those stars that fall, that star that is called Wormwood. Verse 14. And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of thee, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands 
of his saints, to execute judgment upon all, and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed, and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against them. Ungodly speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Understand what he's saying. They are they who call evil good and good evil. There are they who come along and say, well, I don't want to believe in the book of Enoch, even though it's given validity right here by Jude, the brother of Jesus Christ. There are they who will come along and say, well, the Jews are God's chosen. There are they who will come along and preach for reward like Balaam did. There are they who will come along and say, you know what, it doesn't matter what truth is to me. What matters is political correctness. What matters is what the majority believes. But it was Jesus Christ who said, narrow is the way and few there be that find it. The false prophet comes along and says, you can't be so narrow-minded, where Jesus Christ says, you must be narrow-minded. There they will come along and say, well, you're brainwashed as if having a clean, washed brain were a bad thing. They turn everything upside down, dear kinsfolk. They call evil good and good evil. So understand that Jude and Peter both and Jesus Christ all mentioned and referenced Enoch. That was the purpose why he was taken. He was the seventh from Adam. Why was he the seventh from Adam, and why was he not, quote-unquote? Why was he taken of Yahweh God in your very own Bible that you're holding now? He was taken to prophesy of a latter era. He was taken so that you would understand that the Gregory, the Enoch, the Iron, the fallen angels, the watchers, or whatever you choose to call them, were real. This isn't the imagination of men. And just because they were chopped out of our scripture and our quote-unquote canon at the Council of Nicaea has no bearing on what is truth. Would you not rather put more faith in a document of antiquity than the words of men? Than modern spurious dogmas? Well, that, dear kinsfolk, is what people are doing. They'll come along and most of them won't even know who Enoch is. In fact, if they were to take a stab at who it was, who Enoch was, they would tell you he was the son of Cain. They don't recognize who Enoch truly is because they're not familiar with the Gnostic text of Enoch. And so, dear kinsfolk, I have taught on the Gospel of Thomas. I've taught on the Book of Enoch. I've taught on the Gospel of Mary. I've taught on the Proto-Evangelion. I've taught on these so that you wouldn't know, at least historically, that these books were accepted. The prophecy of Enoch is that the Watchers are reserved. They're wandering stars. They're reserved for darkness forever. They go into the quote-unquote lake of fire with the false prophet. That is reserved for the devil and the false prophet. That is what the watchers are for. Verse 16. These are murmurers, complainers, walking after their own lusts, and their mouth speaketh great swelling words, having men's persons in admiration because of advantage. Because of advantage. These are they who will come along and say, you know what, I'm going to give you the cheapest seat in my church because I know that you've given the most. Advantage. Financial advantage. They walk after their own lusts. Again, once again, we understand that um, they defile the flesh, they despise dominion, and speak evil of dignities. That is their purpose. They're murmurers. They're boastful. They're unmerciful. They're complainers. They complain and say, well, why would God allow evil to happen? Dear kids, folk, God allows evil to happen, so you'll turn to him. Not blame him. And their mouths speak great swelling words, feel-goodism. They'll come along and they'll tickle your ears. They'll tell you what you want to hear, but it may not be biblically true. It may be politically correct, but it's not biblically correct. And therefore, dear kinsfolk, the choice is yours. What do you choose? 
Do you choose to follow after political correctness? Do you choose to follow after the masses? You must understand that the masses are lemmings, and lemmings eventually will crawl over the cliff and die. That's what happens to lemmings, those that go with the majority. You must go the narrow way, not the broad way. And we must also understand that we cannot have persons in admiration because of advantage. Indeed, Christians are commanded to esteem every man better than themselves. But that's not to say we're to be second-class citizens. We cannot have people walk over us. And even worse than being a second-class citizen is preaching to the highest bidder. That's what Balaam did. That's what caused the gainsaying of Kor. And that's what will eventually happen to the Watchers, the Gregory, the False Prophet, the Devil, and anyone who loveth and maketh a lie, according to the book of Revelation and according to Jude here, what we're covering. We cannot do that. Next verse. But, beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is Peter. How? That when they told you there should come mockers in the last time who should walk after their own ungodly lusts. And so understand, there will be mockers in the last days, in the last times, the end of this era, quote-unquote. They're mockers that come along and say, well, where's the promise of his coming? I don't see Jesus Christ. Uh, look at what God's allowing to happen in also Norway. Look at what's going on and so forth. Well, you're good folks, that's not God's fault. It's not your fault. It's the murmurer's fault. <laughs> Peter it was who told you that there should be mockers in the end times. There they would come along and say, where's the promise of his coming? Jesus Christ isn't real. I don't see him. There's so much horrible evil going on in the world, well, dear kinsfolk, is that God's fault, or is that man's fault? Indeed, it is man's fault. It is man who will pervert the way of God. God is not the author of confusion. God cannot be the author of confusion, or else he'd be the author of evil, and within him there is no evil. And so understand that when Scripture says, beside Yahweh God, there is no other God, that's not saying that there's not other gods, because the very first commandment proves there's other gods. What that's saying is, beside him there is no other God. Why? Who's beside Yahweh God? Is Jesus Christ. That position is reserved for Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Just as the position of the Gregorian, the Watchers, is to be reserved in chains forever. Wandering stars, to whom is reserved the darkness forever. That will be their purpose. Their purpose is to draw you aside. And Yahweh allows it. Why? Because he wants you to have free will. He wants you to love him, not as a robot would, but as a true son would love his father. That is why you were called. So understand that in the end times, there's mockers. They make a mockery of the true teachings. If you were to come along and say, well, Scripture says thou shalt not adulterate, they'll say, well, it doesn't mean adulterate. That means you just can't cheat on your wife. And then what's covetousness? What's the Tenth Commandment? They pervert it upside down from what it was. See apostates who are ungodly. And why are they ungodly? Next verse. These they be who separate themselves, sensual, having not the Spirit. So understand that while it is Yahweh God who says, Come out from among them and be ye separate, and I shall receive them. It is Yahweh God who at the same time says, Don't go out and make a religion out of it. Many people will go out there and separate themselves off from the world and then wonder why it is that their children go off and race trade and their children go out when the world is their oyster and fall. It's because they were sensual. They didn't have the spirit. The spirit is to be in the world, but not of the world. Do you not understand the difference? We're to live in this world. This is where the battle is. But we're not to be overtaken. Lot was not overtaken while he was troubled. He was not overtaken. Lot's wife was overtaken of the world. Lot's wife was sensual. Lot's wife did not have 
the spirit. Lot did. Lot knew that when that angel said, do not look back towards Sodom and Gomorrah, he wouldn't. Lot's wife, on the other hand, did, because that's where her heart was. She separated herself. She was sensual. She did not have the spirit. And so separation is called for. Separation of races. Separation of uh, believers and unbelievers. But we're not to go out and separate ourselves away from the brotherhood, from fellowship, from the world itself. This is the battleground down here, dear kinsfolk. And we must understand that if we're to be used of Yahweh God, that is his will, then it must be done here, through, and in the flesh. We cannot allow the flesh to rule over us, but yet we must live within the flesh, having the spirit, not being sensual, quite the opposite. Verse 20. But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on the most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keep yourselves in the love of God. Dear kinsfolk, that is the opposite of separation. Keeping ourselves in the love of God. If we're in the love of God, we're not separate. We understand that wherever two or more gather, there Jesus Christ is. We understand that we cannot forsake the brotherhood. We cannot forsake the assembling together of the saints. So it is Jude here telling us to keep ourselves in the love of God and doing what? Looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Mercy, unmerited favor, once again, grace. So the Judeo-Christian will come along and say, when I die, I'm going to heaven. And Paul himself had doubt. That was the true and correct spirit. We're to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. We're not to lift ourselves up, not to boast, not to think that we're something greater than we truly are. Rather, we're to look for the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is, we're to be down on the earth, in the dust, crying tears, that Yahweh God may find us acceptable, usable, makeable enough to be used within His will, to be used within His purpose. Not walking around boasting, saying, when I die, I'm going to heaven, and Aunt Wanda died, and I'll see her in heaven. You don't know that, dear kinsfolk. Should the Lord tarry or what have you, you do not know the plans of Yahweh God. You do not know who makes it in and who does not. And therefore, dear kinsfolk, that is the reason why we're instructed to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. We're not to be lifted up in arrogance. We're to look only to the Lord Jesus Christ and his mercy. And in doing that, that leads to eternal life. Next verse. And of some have compassion, making a difference of some, not of all, because you won't reach them all. And of some of them you can have compassion, which is empathy and or sympathy. But not all of them. None of us down here have the ability to make everyone believe in Jesus Christ. All you and I are able to do, dear kinsfolk, is share the truth that Yahweh God gave to us. And once again, that's mercy. We can share that with others, and we can hope that they'll feed from it. We can hope that they'll accept it as truth. But there is no guarantee. And that is the reason why Jude says of some, some of the people out there were to have compassion, were to make a difference. Verse 23. And others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. That garment spotted by the flesh could be seen as Lot, once again, of Sodom and Gomorrah, who was vexed to the filthy conversation of the wicked. It was him, Lot, whose garment was spotted by the deeds there around about. And he was saved with fear. Did he not work out his own salvation with fear and trembling? Is that not the way Yahweh God designed it? Indeed it was. So others, some of them, were to have compassion and others were to save with fear. We can pull them out of the fire. That is the fire of false dogmas. That is the fire of the world or the fire of the flesh. We can pull them from that. We can hate even the garment spotted by the flesh. And dear folk, we must understand this is where this concept of hate the sin but love the sinner comes from. 
Indeed, we can love our kinsfolk but not be happy with what they do. That is the story of Yahweh God in a nutshell, is it not? Does not Yahweh love us even when we fail oftentimes? Even though in failing we separate ourselves from him, Yahweh God does not forsake us. Yahweh God does not give up on us. And thank God that he doesn't. That is the mercy of Jesus Christ. And that is why we're commanded here in the book of Jude to look forward to that and that alone. Verse 24. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. And so it ends with amen, and we understand that's the end of what Jude is saying here. He's saying it is the end, and so be it. But we must also understand that here Jude isn't uh, differentiating between God and Jesus Christ. Many people out there say, well, Jesus Christ is the Savior, but not Jude. Jude is saying God is our Savior. To the only wise God our Savior, meaning that all true wisdom comes from Yahweh God and God alone. This is the reason why David could come along and say, am I not wiser than my instructors because I've inclined unto the law? It will be the same way for you. Many of your instructors will come along and say, you don't have to follow the law. The law doesn't mean anything. And you will, in essence, be wiser than them. Why? Because you incline yourself to God. You incline yourself to the law. Only through knowing God's law can you know God's morality. Can you know God's will for you? So that's how he ends his epistle here. Jude says, to the only wise God our Savior be glory and majesty, dominion. That is power, both now and forever. And whether you like that or not, dear kinsfolk, that's the way it is going to be. It is Yahweh God who is omnipotent. It is He who can make a difference in your life if you're willing to be a vessel of honor for His purpose. Do not close your mind off. Do not harden your heart as in the day of provocation. Understand that if Yahweh God calls you, you better listen. Because if you do not answer that call, that call may not come again. That is mercy. And so, do all things in the proper spirit. Do not do them in the flesh. Do not do them after man's advantage. Do not do them out of self-desire. Do not do them to gain advantage from men or finances or whatever it be. Do not do it after the flesh as the fallen angels who fell for. Because even though you may fall, you must understand that God used them as a vessel of dishonor. You do not want to be a vessel of dishonor. And so that ends, once again, this general epistle of Jude. And I hope that by listening to this, or at least following along, you're able to understand that there's a lot more to God's Word than you're being told. And there's many false prophets out there who fall within these categories. And again, I would invite you to go ahead and read at least the second chapter of the second epistle of Peter, found within the New Testament, for further information on what happens to the false prophets. So, it is Peter who comes along and says they also are natural brute beasts, just as Jude does. But Peter says they're meant to be taken and destroyed. That was their purpose. Are you going to be a bleeding heart liberal and say, oh, poor little false prophets? Or do you want to be like one of these others who come along and say, well, so-and-so and Joe Schmo and Joe Sixpack, they live generally good lives, and I don't want to follow a God who would send someone like that to hell. Tough titty said to Kitty when the milk went dry. Understand, first and foremost, that's the reason Jesus Christ said, no man cometh unto the Father except by, meaning through, me. If you deny Jesus Christ, you are an antichrist. You are a denier. You have no place, no position within the kingdom of Yahweh God, within that coming kingdom, that kingdom that I hope 
to see you in. And so with that being established, this is Pastor Visser once again from Covenant People's Ministry, accessible on the World Wide Web at covenantpeoplesministry.org, broadcasting live from beautiful downtown Peachtree City, Georgia, albeit it's quite dark down here, wishing you and yours great studies, war for Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope that you have enjoyed studying with us. Remember the words that Christ has given, that wherever two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. We hope that you will gather together with us at the online ministry's website, which is covenantpeoplesministry.com, and share your Christian testimonies or ask questions and enjoy biblical fellowship. You can also order CDs of Pastor Visser's Bible Studies, Enjoy many other Christian resources through the church's website or write to Covenant People's Ministry, Post Office Box 256, Brooks, Georgia 30205. Our phone number is 404-906-9009. Thanks again, and may the love of Christ abide in you and yours forever and ever. Amen.